Hello, and welcome to the Salem on the Go podcast, a community of Christ followers that seeks the well-being of all people, a place where you can connect, commit, and continue to grow in your faith. The longest part of the night rests just in front of the most brilliant part of dawn. Sunrise is impressive, but just before dawn is where all the beauty of a new day rests. In life, it's the darkness just before the dawn that's the hardest part to step into, but that's also where the brilliance is found. And in this new study of 1 Peter, we'll discover the blessings that can come in the darkest nights of our soul. Throughout my life, as I'm sure it's the case with your life, I've done some pretty stupid things. Um, done a lot of stupid things throughout my life. Um, but there are few that are stupider uh, than the multiple times. Is stupider a word? I don't know if it is or not. We'll make it a word. There are few that are more stupid than the times where I have planned and executed all-night lock-ins with a group of teenagers. Anybody who's ever participated in that, can I hear a big amen? Uh, amen. Yeah, I, I didn't do it just once. I've done it multiple times in multiple locations with multiple churches. And uh, at times, having 100, 150 teenagers all crammed into one building overnight, that was dumb, right? For them, it's the time of their life. There's pizza, which is terrible about three o'clock in the morning, but there's tons of it. You can have all you want. There's movies that are going to be played. Sometimes we would rent like laser tag equipment and set it up and they could just run around all over the place with that. You know, they might be at a trampoline park. Time of their life, but every single adult is miserable. It doesn't matter. That's the hardest, the hardest part of all of it is to be the recruiter for adults. Like, hey, would you like to give up a full night of great sleep in your bed to come and sit with a bunch of teenagers, making sure they don't do stupid things all over the place? Like, that's a hard sell for anybody. But adults just, you know, even if they buy into it, they're begrudging the entire time. It's bad food. It's uncomfortable conversations with teenagers who've snuck off where they shouldn't. It's just, it's just not good whatsoever. And this is the terror. This, this, is, this is what adults do all night long. And I've, I've experienced myself. I've seen it in other adults. They will sit around every now and then going to a window in whatever building you're in just to see if they can see a sliver of light outside. All right, it's pitch black all night long, but they are constantly going over and going, is there any dawn anywhere, right? And if, if the moon comes out at night, that's the worst, because they're like, it got brighter, and then they're like, oh, wait a minute, it's 1230 at night, that's, that can't be right. But they're just looking for that, and then all of a sudden, that small sliver of light comes, and the whole sky starts to brighten up, and they're like, dawn is coming. This is great, and then they look down at their clock, and it's like 417 and 28 seconds, which I know is very, very specific, but that's how you feel that late at night. You're just like, I need to know exactly where you are, and when you see that 417 and 28 seconds, you know, I still have like three hours left. I can't believe I just looked at my clock. This is insane. Parents are going to be here for three more hours, and then like little Johnny, we know his parents are going to forget and sleep in, and it'll be like 10.30 before they come, and we'll want to kill him by that point, um, but we can't because it's really his mom and dad's lazy fault. It's not his fault, and we just sit back, and we wait, and we wait, and we're like, oh my gosh, and it feels like 45 minutes have gone by, Then you look at your phone, you're like, it is 4.18 and 13 seconds. I cannot believe this. And time just drags on as you're looking for that sliver of light to keep coming. And the light, the light is there, but it's not quite there. It's not quite in that space. It's just enough light to be coming for you to believe in your mind that the night is over, but it's not. It's not really over. You're still in the night, you're still living in it, and you're still looking for that. Parents are coming a little bit later, and, and it's in this space right here where your mind starts telling you that the light is coming, that it can become the most dangerous for you. 
because it's very deceptive about what's actually happening in the world. The darkness of night, it's still there. It's still present. Even as the light is coming in the world, the light of day is not in full bloom yet. It's not high noon. You don't have all the light around you. It's already here, the light, but it's not quite here yet. It's in this in-between space. And this, this is where I think Peter is leaving us at the end of his letter right here. He says, it's this dangerous in-between state that you're walking into that you need to hear about. This already here, not yet here state. And I need you in this state of in-between to be on guard. Why? Because there's a power at work in the world that wants to destroy you. And Peter names it in verse, five, in verse 8. He names it. It's the devil. The devil is the one that Peter would say is prowling around. And so he says to you and I in verse 8, he says, discipline yourselves. Stay alert. This is nighttime image. Don't go to sleep. I know it's like 4 a.m. And, and your body is telling you go to sleep right now, but I need you not to do that. I need you to discipline yourself. I need you to stay alert, keep alert, because like a roaring lion, your adversary, the devil, prowls around looking for someone who he can devour. So even though everything in your body is telling you, I need to go to sleep right now, I shouldn't have stayed up all night, danger is lurking around and Peter is saying, don't do it, don't drift off, stay strong, stay steady in this. And, and let me just say a few words about the devil before I go on because our minds, our minds that live on the other side of like Dante's Inferno, right? They live on the other side of William Blake's Red Dragon they, or the Simpsons Devil Flanders, whatever, whatever devil you have in your mind. I don't know what that would be. But they live on the other side of a devil image that's usually red and pointy tail and all those types of things. But the image that Jesus and Peter worked with of the devil was not just some sort of cosmic evil equivalent to God. The, the devil, as he would describe him, and he, and he actually calls him this, he says you're the adversary, the devil is a larger-than-life personification of something very specific. Deception. Deception, lying, truth-bending. That's what the devil is. For Peter, that's what the devil is. For Jesus, in the wilderness where Jesus is, is tempted by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights, what does the devil do? The devil comes and deceives him by bending the truth. He offers him truths from Scripture, but he bends it. He twists it. And the devil for this first century world, is always the one who bends truth in our lives. This is what happens in the wilderness, and, devil, and, and Jesus eventually will actually name him this way. He says, this is the father of lies. Later in John's gospel, John chapter 8, verse 44, it, uh, Jesus says this of the devil. The devil's been a murderer right from the start. He never stood with the truth, for he is full of nothing but lies. Lying is his native tongue. He's a master of deception, and he is the father of lies. You see, Peter names the devil as this force of deception who's drawing us back from the light that is there, the light that is right in front of us. And John, of course, is referring to him in this same way. He's this force that is at work in the world, and everything that you believe about the world that is true by the devil's power is a deception, it's twisted in just this small way. And so listen to how John will actually describe what we do in our world in, ver in chapter 3, verse 19. He says in the beginning of his gospel, the light has actually come into the world, this being Jesus Christ, and the people of the world love darkness rather than light. As a people, we stand in this in-between state where we can see the light is coming and the darkness is behind us. And John says we have this propensity by the devil's power in our world, the deception that is at work in the world. We like this better than this. 
We like to look back and live in the deception of our world and the truth-bending of our world, and we're fascinated by it, and we're drawn back into it. And even though dawn is right in front of us, John would tell us, Peter would tell us, others apostles would tell us the new day has come, he's saying we actually prefer to be over here. And when you and I approach the dawn of a new day, the brightness that is coming with the new day, it's always going to be mixed with this darkness of night, this deception that can come in. And out of that space right there, there are some lies that are spoken over us. There are some lies that are spoken out of the darkness that we struggle with, that we constantly are, are pulled back into the darkness by. And in order to take our, our final steps into the new reality that God wants for us, that Christ wants for us, that Peter is wanting for people who are in the midst of persecution, we have to deal with those lies. We have to name them for what they are. We're going to bring those out into the forefront. Things that are spoken in the night over us, we're going to bring them out and we're going to find deliverance from them. And that's what Peter is doing here in the closing parts of his his, uh, letter. In chapter 5, this is where he begins. And there are three three lies. If you're taking notes, you can kind of follow along with me in this way. There are three lies I want to talk to you about that Peter addresses. The first one that he addresses, he's addressed through his entire letter, and it's this lie right here. The lie that says you need to prove yourself. Lie that says you need to prove yourself. This is the lie of pride that creeps up in our lives. And this is the oldest of all lies that we believe. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, and, and it's a sin that kind of creeps in in that space. It's the lie that ultimately results in the pride of life. And you would think, if you've ever been through suffering, you're like, if I'm a suffering person, I don't need to worry about pride. I'm in the least you know, likely position to suffer and struggle with this. But Peter says, no, no, no. We all struggle with this, every one of us. It doesn't matter who you are, whether you've got everything together in life or whether you're at the bottom of the barrel. Like, we all struggle with this. We think that pride sort of sneaks into those who have it all together, but Peter knows it comes for every one of us. And that's why throughout his letter, you've probably noticed this, he addresses humility and submission over and over again. When he talks to the elders and the leaders of the church in the first four verses of chapter five, what does he talk to them about? Submission. Humility, humble yourselves in front of all who are there. And then when he turns to the rest of the church in verse 5 and verse 6, listen to what he says again, verse 6. What's that first word? Humble, right? Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you in due time. You might be a person of great means and of influence in the world. What does Peter say to you? Humble yourself. You might be a person who in this world, you've got all things together, your life's together, you feel like you're in control. What does Peter say to you? Humble yourself. You might be in a space right now in your life where you're suffering tremendously. You're living under the weight of the world and it doesn't feel like you can make any steps forward. What does Peter say to you? Humble yourself. It doesn't matter what station you are in life, we find that humility is the thing that brings us in connection with God and our connection with God is the thing that ultimately exalts us. Because pride is not just a temptation for the affluent, it's a temptation for us all because ultimately pride is that thing that says, I need to prove myself. And I can prove myself in a lot of ways. I might try to prove myself with my affluence, the way that I've got my good job, that I've got everything together, that I've done it all, I can handle life. And I will try to prove myself in that space. Others of us might try to prove ourselves by demonstrating how much pain we can endure. Either way, it's pride and in that space, We humble ourselves. Whether high or low, the common thread is my desire to prove myself. Whether proving it with how much pain I can endure or how well I can accomplish things in life, Peter says, humble yourself. 
This is the lie of pride that's spoken over us. It's a lie that's spoken out of the dark and tries to draw us back in. And this is the lie that the devil is speaking to us out of darkness. You need to make something of yourselves. You need to look out for number one and how you can care for yourself. You need to show the world who you are all the time. And we're walking around in the world believing that that is true. Believing that we need to prove ourselves rather than trusting in a God who has done all things for us and gives us this gift. And we believe it because we don't know that we're enough. The way that God has created you is beautiful. The way that God has formed you is already enough. The way that he has fashioned you in this world is enough, and we are worthy because of that. And so what we try to do is, because we don't believe that, we try to prove ourselves over and over, and we start getting more and more and more puffed up. And you know what happens to puffed up things? They pop, right? Apart from accidents, do you realize that just about everything, every cause of death in the world, is through some form of inflammation? Every cause of death, apart from accidental. Heart attack, stroke, cancers, all forms of inflammation in our body where our body gets puffed up. And what happens to things that get puffed up? They get destroyed. And the same thing that happens in our bodies happens in our spirits. When our spirits get puffed up in this way, it can lead to that death in our lives. And so being puffed up is a deadly reality. And what's true of our body is certainly true of our spirit, and we have to correct that. And this is why Jesus came. Jesus came and offered us a correction to that, that path right there. He offered us a different path. It's why when he came in the world and was baptized, he comes out of the water, and it's nothing that he did, but the Father looks down upon the Son and says, you are my Son, and you, I am well pleased. You haven't done anything yet. You haven't done any miracles. You haven't performed anything. You haven't laid your life down on the cross. You haven't rose back from the dead. Nothing. You are my Son, and in you I am well pleased. And the same reality that God speaks over his son Jesus is the reality that God speaks over you and me. And you, you are his son, you are his daughter, and in you, he is well pleased. Not for what you've done, not for what you've accomplished or what you've left on the table, not for the pain that you've endured and the story that you've left behind. You are God's son and daughter, and in you, he is well pleased. He speaks these things over your life. He speaks meaning into your life. He speaks purpose into your life. He speaks all of these things because he's created you with purpose already. You don't have to prove yourself in any way. You just have to live into the gift that is God for you. God's already proved his love for you in Jesus Christ. So humble yourself. Live into that reality that you don't have to prove yourself. The first lie that is spoken to us out of the darkness is that we have to prove ourselves. The lie of pride. The second lie is this. The first lie, you, know, you need to prove yourself. The second lie is this. You won't make it through this. You're not going to make it through this. The first lie is the lie of pride. The second lie that Peter addresses is the lie of worry. The worry that plagues our lives. In fact, if you go to verse 7, this is exactly what he addresses there. Chapter uh, 5, verse 7 says, Cast all of your anxieties or your worries on him. Why? Because God already cares for you. Cast those on to him. And in fact, you could translate that final passage because he cares for you a little bit differently in terms of the placement of the Greek words. You could say, Because you are his concern. You're his concern. You're the one that he is concerned about. Listen, I know we all worry about the future. I get it. The future is that thing. In fact, worry is, is intricately bound up with the future because the future is the place in our life of uncertainty. The future is the place in our lives that we don't know anything about, and that scares us, right? But Peter says, 
I know you don't know what your future is going to hold. And he's talking to a group of people who literally don't know if they will live or die tomorrow. He says, I just want you to cast your anxieties on him. You may believe that you aren't going through, that you're not going to make it. You may believe that the next day is not promised for you and you don't see how you're going to press through. He says, I understand that. I understand you're facing persecution. I understand you're facing trials and all of these things and there's uncertainty all around. And I understand that your anxiety about the future is actually a real thing because it's very possible that you may die. It's scary in that place. But what I'm asking you to do is to release those anxieties back unto God. Because the lie that the devil wants to tell you is that you're not going to make it through this system. But even if they take your life away, you will make it by the power of the resurrection. Even if they are able to harm you in some way, you will, by the power of the resurrection, press through. And so I just want you to release those anxieties back unto God. The lie that's coming out of the darkness is that a new day won't come, or even if it does come, it won't last. But this is a lie about the future that you don't have to believe. And we all have these fears. Every one of us in this room, everyone watching online, we all have fears about future things. But the reality is, is those future things that we fear may or may not happen. And more times than, than not, they don't happen, right? The things that we worry about, they don't happen. They aren't there. They, they aren't going to be a problem for us. And this is, this is the truth that we need to constantly remind ourselves of, is that the majority of stuff that we're constantly worrying about just hasn't happened, But we're still worried about it. We still hold on to it. And we still, in our minds, get stuck in that loop over and over again. But Peter says, I want want you to take that loop. I want you to take that fear that's occupying your mind. And I just want you to cast it back on God. Because he cares for you. And one of the ways that God cares for us is just by the creation of this incredible mind that we have. Our minds are incredibly resilient. And in fact, our minds can autocorrect and heal itself from trauma and things that have happened in in the same way that our body can do it. And God has already sort of looked out for us. And one of the ways I know that is because there's this effect that happens in our minds. I can't remember exactly what it's called, but it's this reality that everything that we think is going to be good in the future is never as good as we think it was. And everything that is bad that we're worried about for the future is never as bad as we think it will be. In fact, I had this experience with my son just uh, a while back. We're getting ready to go on a cruise in June. We're super excited. We've postponed this cruise for two years or however long the pandemic's gone, maybe 15 years at this point. I'm not sure. But we've postponed this cruise. We're finally getting ready to go on it, and Andrew is super excited about it. But in order to go, Andrew had to get a shot. He had to get two shots, actually. But he had to get a shot before he could go on the cruise. And there was so much anxiety in our house about this. I mean, you don't understand. Some of you may understand. I don't know. Maybe your kids are this way with shots. But Andrew does not like shots at all. And when I say doesn't like shots, I mean he will hit you in your face, claw your eyeballs out if you try to come at him with a needle. Like, this is how bad. So bad we had to have five people hold Andrew down to give him a shot, not in his arm, but in his leg, right? It was a fantastic day where he decided not to wear underwear and we had to pull his pants down. It was, it was just fascinating all the way around as we went into that moment. But as we're in there, here's what happened. I get the grand privilege of leaning on my son's chest, holding his arms like this, and pushing down as hard as I can on his chest while he's fighting against me and screaming and blood-red eyes screaming in my face. 
and no, 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 I'm dying. And, and he's just saying this over and over again. I'm dying, I can't breathe, I'm dying, I can't breathe. And his eyes are getting red. I'm like, please God, do this quickly, doctor, or nurse, or whatever you are. And as soon as she sticks it, I didn't see when she stuck it, but he felt it when she stuck it. And he goes, ah, ah, that's not as bad as I thought it would be. I say he didn't calm down at all. He just screamed with all of his mind. It's not that bad, it's not that bad. Right? It's not as bad as you think it will be. Like, that's the reality that we live into. And of course, in a few months, we're going to get on the cruise, and we're going to be excited, and we're going to get there, and it's not going to be as great as we think it'll be. Somebody will get seasick. That pizza is going to be nasty after day two. Uh, endless buffets? Who cares? I'm miserable, right? I'm like, there's going to be this give and take. Things aren't going to be as good as we think they are, and they aren't going to be as bad as we think we are. And here's why I say all this, because God has prepared our minds that way. When we actually live into the reality, God has prepared our minds to be able to live into that, to walk into that. So we have nothing to fear. We don't have to fear that. We don't have to worry about that. In fact, we can just cast that on God. Right? If God already made you that way, why not do this? Do this for yourself. Start living in that truth. Start living in the truth that God has given you everything you need to be able to handle whatever pressure comes your way and cast that back on him. I love the way that Peter uses that really descriptive word there, throw it. Don't slide it. You know, sometimes we might be in that place where we're like, God, I'll, I'll give you this, right? He's not, no, don't, don't slide it. Don't slide it over to him. Throw it at him. Let go of it. Don't even have any control over that anxiety anymore. Just toss it over to him and trust him that he will hold you. So the first lie that we believe is we need to prove ourselves. The second one is that we won't make it through this. And the third and final one is this. Your pain tells you that God doesn't care or God isn't there. And I know this, for some of you who have lived through some very painful situations in life, that's the first thing that sort of lands in your mind. Whenever pain settles in your heart, it's a trigger. In fact, I talked to somebody this week who just felt like God had left them in the midst of one of the worst moments of their life. That's natural. When pain happens, the lie that comes into our life is that God doesn't care or that God isn't there. And is it one or the other? No, it could be both, right? Because the devil's telling a lie. He doesn't have to make sense. It can, you're like, those can't be mutually. It's a lie. Yeah, they can be there, whatever. God's not there. God, God doesn't care, whatever it is. This is what we live into when pain comes. And, and so we might be able to overcome the pride in our life and we might be able to press past the worry in our lives. But this pain thing right here, I don't know about that lie. Because that lie right there, that's the heavy one where it's like, no, we've separated ourselves off from God and what God wants for us and how God is directing us. And that lie is so painful because what often happens for that lie, and you know this already, it sneaks into your life when you're already at your lowest moment. You're already not resilient. And that lie sneaks into your life and it tells you God's not there, God doesn't care. And you start to believe it because you're already super weak in that space. And I love how Peter addresses this lie. He knows that. He knows that about you. He knows that you're already at your lowest point. And so he actually doesn't encourage you to do anything on your own. He encourages us to look around at each other. It's a beautiful thing, right? As he gets into the issue of pain, he says, I want you to be aware. You do have an enemy that's around you. This is verse 8 that we read at the beginning. This is the devil who's prowling around. He's trying to destroy you. Remember that. But look at verse 9. This is what he does with pain. He says, so resist the devil. Absolutely resist the devil. But Then I want you to remain steadfast in your faith. And here's how he tells us to do that. For you also know that your brothers and sisters in all the world are undergoing the same kinds of suffering. 
Resist that temptation to believe that, you're, that, that God isn't there, God doesn't care, resist that. But then don't forget that one of the most powerful ways we make it through our pain is not just to rely on strength that we don't have, it's to look around at other people who are walking this journey with us, to see them and to walk the journey with us so that when we are too weak to continue on, they will be able to help us. And when we finally regain our strength, we'll be able to help them. And there's a mutuality to this moment, right? And it puts all things in perspective. In fact, I brought these up here today uh, because I... Uh, I do the dishes in our house, and there are a few things that tick me off more than when someone puts a dish in a place in the dishwasher that it doesn't belong, right? If, if you have, like, spoons in the top rack, oh, no, I, I don't know why you did that. What kind of monster are you that you would do? It's a terrible thing, but, but things like this right here are the worst for me. You know why they're the worst for me? Because they don't fit in the utensil drawer, right? If you put them in the utensil thing in mine, then that spinny thing at the top is going to hit it, hit it, hit it. It's going to break every, it doesn't fit there. So then what next option do I have? Well, I could lay it with the plates, but that's a terrible option. I don't know why. I end up laying it with the cups. And that just frustrates me to no end. There's no place for this, right? Forks, I know where you go. Plates, I know where you are. This, I don't know where you belong. This is your pain right here. Pain is that thing that comes into our lives. We don't have a place for it. Like we can fit everything else into our lives in a neat package. We can slide it in its place. We can put it over here. Cups go up here, bowls in the center, whatever it is. I don't know where this goes. And what I need help with is to figure out how I can put my pain in perspective. And one of the ways I can do that is I can come over and visit and look at your dishwasher. How the world did you handle this? Now, if you've got your bowls in the wrong place, we're going to have words. But, but this is what we do. We, we look at each other's situations and we place our pain in its proper perspective. And this is what Peter is encouraging us to do right here. After you have suffered for just a little while, after you've placed your pain in perspective with the, com, uh, with the community of other people, the God of all grace is going to come to you the God of all grace who's called you into eternal glory in Christ Jesus. And when he comes to you, he's going to be the one who will restore you. He's going to be the one who supports you. He's going to be the one to strengthen and establish you. And listen, if, if you are in a season of pain right now, if that's where you're living right now, and you're tempted to believe the lie that is told to us in this season, I want you to just be patient. I don't want you to separate yourself off from other people. I want you to be patient in that moment because the God of all grace is coming for you and he's holding you in that place and he's going to place all things in perspective in good time. He's at work in your life. He's controlling your life. He's moving in your life to restore and strengthen and establish you and do all those things. And what I dare you to believe in this moment is this, that God is there for you. And you don't know why you went through it right now, but you will know. You will know why you went through this. You will know why it's there. One day, just keep peeling back the layers and asking the questions and struggling with the reality and checking in with other people and looking for answers. But keep working and keep being patient in that, time, in that place. And the time is going to come where you're going to realize exactly what God did for you in that season and how he brought you through that. And the tension, the tension is that we often don't see the connection. And if you're in that place of pain right now, you probably don't see the connection yet but it's yet. It's right now. One day you'll see it. One day it'll make sense. 
between what we have and what we've been called to. And you'll understand when those two worlds come together and all the experiences of your life will add up. Don't doubt God's presence right now. Don't doubt God's intention for your life that God doesn't care about you. God does care about you. God is there with you. And he's walking with you even in the midst of your pain. So as we stand on the edge of dawn today, I know these are the lies that come. I know these are the lies that are spoken out of the darkness. But listen to Peter today. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Listen to Peter today and remember to humble yourselves. Even in the midst of trial and tribulation, remember to submit yourself there so that God can exalt you. And remember that even in the life's most painful moments, God, our Father and Creator, is the one who will support you and pull all things back together as you struggle to find the ways in which you can place your pain in perspective. Would you stand with me today? God, today we give you thanks for the resurrection hope that comes to us in Jesus Christ, our Lord. We thank you, God, for the life that is indeed possible because of Jesus. The way in which you call us into that life and you help us rise above every circumstance of life that seems trying, that seems painful. You help us to live into a new day. And today, God, that's what we ask. We ask, Father, that you would help us every single day to live into the light of this new world. Even if these lies are spoken to us out of darkness and they come to us time and time again, help us to focus our minds singly on you. That we might hear the truth that you have spoken of our lives, that we are enough. That we might remember, God, that even when we don't understand the future and we're worried about it, you're already standing there. And you call us into the future that you've created. And God, even in those spaces where our pain seems like it will never end, you are the one who is building us up day by day. So help us live into each of these realities now and forever. We pray these things in Jesus, our Lord and Savior's name. Amen and amen. Amen.